so I became a heroin pretty much at that point when I started dancing, it started with pills and alcohol. I started doing uh, weed about 13, a mess at 15. Um, and then in the strip club about 21, I started doing uh, benzos and alcohol. And then I discovered opiates and then it became heroin and cocaine. And then that kind of stayed my drug of choice. You're listening to a 15-minute miracle with Doreen Page. Listen to her tell her story and find me at dalewileyshow.com. I've been in recovery for about 10 years, almost 11 years, probably about 10 and a half years. Um, and then uh, June 12th would be my 11th year. Wow. Um, yeah, so um, I started uh, my childhood. I guess we'll just start with my childhood. So yeah, um, I, was, I was born and raised in uh, Germany. My father was a military police officer. Uh, we moved every four years or so, you know, back and forth from the United States to there. Um, the majority of, of my childhood was in Germany. Uh, there I started being about six or eight years old. I started getting abused by different people in the community. And then, um, but it wasn't your dad. Is that right? No, it was not my dad. It was the guy that owned the skating rink, the priest, my best friend's father, just different people. Yeah, and so when at age 12, we were about to move back to the United States, and I just thought things would be different, you know, that guys only over here did this. And so when I moved uh, to uh, the U.S., we lived, we were stationed in Fort Riley, Kansas, and uh, within a year of living back in the U.S., uh, I was assaulted again at age 13. And at that point, I was like, this is just what people do this is what um you know this is just what i'm met for whatever and uh and that's when i started kind of uh using drugs and hanging out with men that were older than me that were using me and and uh um i was i was acting out and i was a, just a mess i was in fights i was abusing animals you know a lot of the typical behaviors of kids that have gone through trauma i was in counseling but i was too afraid to disclose to anybody and i didn't know who knew about stuff like this. So I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't even know what I was supposed to be saying um, because I didn't know Uh, what was going on. Um, I got trafficked by one of the men that raised me. Um, There's four guys that raised me. He was my first trafficker, but he was my best friend. I had no idea. Like we knew each other. Yeah. And yeah. And I knew him for seven years before um, we got together. And because he was my boyfriend's best friend that out of those four guys that raised me, and uh, I just, I hadn't, we knew each other so well and I trusted him after uh, my relationship, my earlier relationship with the guy that I was with for a while and a uh, failed marriage. And I trusted this guy and I ended up starting working in the clubs and me and him got together and we thought that it would work because we knew each other. But I, uh, he had me working in clubs. He wouldn't let me count my money. He wouldn't let me eat anything fattening. Uh, he wouldn't let me do anything risky, like climb trees or go to, you know, do just do anything, uh, that I could break an arm or a leg and not be able to work. He worked in the club sure. with me as a bouncer. Uh, and what and was this? this was in Junction City, Kansas, okay. outside of Fort Riley and some Manhattan area. And, uh, he just wouldn't let me do anything that I was that I wanted to do and we did drugs and then he would hit me and try to convince me that he wasn't hitting me or abusing me. And then he would threaten suicide if I left. And well, I love this guy and, uh, I just 
you know, and I felt bad for him. But I ended up with the help of some friends. I ended up escaping one night. And but that became my first Romeo pimp. But I never saw it that way in the beginning, you know, because it was just sure. it was somebody that I cared about. I loved and I stayed in the strip clubs going in and out of relationships and the same kind of same kind of people. A lot of the club owners were the same type of person. They were abusive. They would take advantage of the girls. They would rape them or or control them or pimp them out. And I just kept finding myself in and out of of uh, drug dealing or um, sexual exploitation of whether somebody else was coercing me to do it or um, I felt like I had to do it for survival or drugs. Um, the drugs just got worse and worse because I was just self-medicating. What um, kind of drugs? Uh, so I became a heroin, pretty much at that point when I started dancing, it started with pills and alcohol. I started doing uh, weed about 13, a mess at 15, um, and then in the strip club about 21, I started doing uh, benzos and alcohol, and then I discovered opiates, and then it became heroin and cocaine, and then that kind of stayed my drug of choice. Um, okay. And uh, a lot of different things happened. I went from you know working in clubs to trying the hippie lifestyle, um, traveling around with a band fish. And living out of my van and selling, yeah, selling meat at festivals to uh, the meat eaters because there was a lot of vegetarians, uh, vegetarian cooks there. And so, um, and my boyfriend uh, sold glass pipes. And so um, we did that for a while. I ended up getting pregnant. um, And then that kind of brought that to a halt. But I was still an addict and uh, I tried getting away from it. I tried running to Florida and when I ran to where my family was, uh, my mom and all of that. So when I was 15, I was with those four guys that raised me. My dad was a military police officer, like I said, while he retired and he became a sheriff um, and went to Arizona and then went to Florida. But I became pregnant at age 15 and I was I wanted to stay with my baby's dad and I threatened to run away if they took me with them. And my mother was too afraid that I would end up on the street, you know, from Arizona to Kansas. So she let me stay with uh, my 20 year old boyfriend that had a house that they knew, you know? And uh, so anyway, so I ended up staying in Kansas, but my family eventually ended up in Florida. So I tried to run away to Florida to get away. And when I get there, the bounty hunters came and got me and gave me a free ride back to Kansas. So I was in jail for a while, and I didn't know what was going on. Um, I had my baby. The state took my baby because I had drugs in my system. Um, I just couldn't seem to keep sober. Uh, And then things just continued on in that crazy cycle of me drug dealing, me prostituting, me being trafficked, me um, just on for years. And so my daughter was taken from me for three times. I fled again one more time to uh, Florida, trying to get away this time for my life because I kept overdosing. And uh, so I get back or I get down to Florida and the first person I, I go to my sister's apartment. So it's Christmas Eve. I wanted to surprise my family. They didn't know I was coming. I get out of the car and the first guy, there's a guy standing outside and he walks up to me and my boyfriend's car and says, Hey, uh, do you want to, you want to buy some crack? And so the drug dealer just happened to live across the, the hall from my sister. So anyways, he became my new dealer and, uh, I wasn't able to get away from it and I became pregnant again. And so I had my daughter with me and, um, and I just, I tried to stay sober. We got our own place. Um, things did not work out. Um, my boyfriend at the time got arrested. He had a, a warrant and, uh, 
anyways, I was trying to do the right thing. And I went back to Kansas because I had to go to court and I didn't want a free ride like I <laughs> had gotten the last time from the bunny hunters. So sure. I was, I went back and within like three days of being back, somebody called me with a lot of money and wanted me to get him some stuff. And I was like, no, I'm just in and out. Just want to go to court. And I wanted to get out. And, you know, um, and before I went to, uh, Florida, I was just in and out of homelessness, either sleeping, you know, either at my dealer's house or in hotels or, um, just wherever, um, bouncing from place to place. And, and then, or my sugar daddy's house. And when I got back, I was sleeping, me and my daughter were sleeping when I went back for court to Kansas, me and my daughter were sleeping on the the storeroom floor of my sugar daddies. And, um, this on, and with nothing, we didn't have anything really with us. Um, cause we were just supposed to be there for a week. Anyways. So this person calls me and I say, no, I'm not going to do anything, but I ended up going over to my dealer's house to get all my stuff because that's where all my stuff was before I left. And when I get over there, everything was gone, but she had an ounce of crack that she wanted to, for me to get rid of. And I was like, no, I just, I just want to get, I just want to be done. I'm done with this life. And this was my pimp dealers. And so, uh-huh. um, so they felt that I owed the money. And, uh, and so she really pressured me and she was like, your guy needs bail money. Right. And, um, so that kind of convinced me and I'm like, okay, there's somebody already waiting with money. You know, I'll just, I'll just do this and get it over with and be sure. done one last uh-huh. time. Right. So anyways, uh, I get it. I got rid of half of it, but um, on my next round trip, I, I got pulled over by three canine units. They searched me and um, they took me down to the station for five hours and they were threatening either to take my children because I was pregnant with my second child uh, or, and you know, the, my sister, my, sorry, my daughter was already in the system and, um, uh, or, I was going to, so I, they were either going to, if I didn't roll or snitch, they were going to take my kids. And if I did snitch, I, my pimp was going to kill me is how I felt about it. So mm-hmm. for, I stayed there five hours, just giving them kind of BS answers, you know, about nothing about, you know, just piddly stuff that they wouldn't care about. And finally they're like, you better give us something. And I'm like, fine, I'll do what you want, but you have to give me time because that's not the way it works. You're not just going to let me out of here and everybody's going to trust me because everybody already knows where I am at this point. So, and it was the scariest time in my life. I said I would, and they would call me and just have me meet them in like back alleys. There was no safety. I couldn't tell anybody. I was so scared. I was scared that my, my dealer pimp would find out and nobody would mess with me at that point. Nobody would give me anything to sell because they knew that I got something was not right. And at that point I just, I just gave up and I just, I didn't care anymore. I'm like, I'm done. I'm never going to be able to escape this life. This is how it's always going to be. So I decided to come out to Missouri and went to, um, to visit my son or my, my baby's daddy, the one that I was pregnant with. Um, and when I got out there, uh, they arrested me. So I walk around Hillsborough, Missouri for a couple of hours. And the only person I knew out in St. Louis was my, uh, my, my son's father's brother and he was a pastor and there was no way I was calling a pastor is how I felt about it. And so anyways, so I walk, I start walking like I'm 45 minutes out of Hillsborough walking down. I think, I don't know, highway A, I think at the point at that time. And some lady pulls me over or pulls over and she was like, Oh, I'll help you. I'll take you to a church. She takes me back into Hillsborough and drops me off at this church there. And she says, wait there for a couple hours. 
So finally, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to call this pastor. So I, I call this pastor, and his wife comes and gets me. And um, and they take me into their home, and they have four kids, and they love on me. They show me their wedding album. Um, I'm dirty. I'm a mess. I've been up all night. I'm pregnant. I have bruises all over me from shooting up. I have um, – but they didn't see that in me. So they took in what – they took in what had not happened to me in a long time. A junkie, prostitute, drug dealing, you know, thief is how I felt about it. Sure. But they didn't act like any of that. There was total acceptance. They took me in. They loved on me. They let me spend the night in the house without locking the door. <laughs> they let me, uh-huh. you know, and so because I had to ride home the next day. And it was Afton, Missouri. I'll never forget it. And it was spring and it was beautiful and it was green. And I went outside to sit the next morning and I'm sitting outside and the pastor asked me about the bruise on my arm and, um, and I lied to him. And then finally I just broke down crying and, um, he was like, you should come out here. And I'm like, out here, out here, where? And, uh, so I wanted to get sober, but I never knew what it looked like. And so, and that was the first glimpse that I had had of what probably a normal life was like. And, and it was just, it was beautiful and it was, and it was perfect at that time. And it was a family setting. And I, cause any other time that I wanted to get sober, I didn't know what I was supposed to, what I was getting. I didn't know what I was looking for. Right. I didn't know. And that was my first pinhole of light that was coming through the darkness uh-huh. and it gave me hope. So that's where my, my hope started. And, um, and so that was in, so that was in, I think, June. Yeah. So that, cause my, 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 my clean date is June 12th. So this was in June sometime, the beginning of June. And um, so I just had hope. And I went back to to Kansas. I was like determined I was going to stay, stay sober. And finally, like after a few days went by, like everything went wrong. People were ripping me off and the cops were bothering me again. And again, I just gave up. I'm like, I'm just done. I can't, I just can't get out of here. How am I supposed to get out of here? So anyways, um, I, one night it's storming, I, I'm trying to shoot up and I, I'm not getting any veins and, and every time I do get a vein, I just puke and I'm sober again and it's just not working. I didn't care about the baby that was inside me anymore. I just didn't care, but I was done. I wanted to die. And I, somebody calls me in the next door and they want something. So I'm walking across the parking lot to, to go give them something. And I drop everything in a puddle of water because it was storming. <laughs> and I thought I cleaned myself up and I'm crawling around this puddle and all of a sudden a light, uh, lightning flashes and I see this blood all over me that I did not clean up. And I was just horrified. And it just I've seen it multiple times, but this time it was just different. So I get up and I walk back into the storeroom and I get on my knees next to my daughter and I said, God, if you're real, I need you to show up right now because I don't know what to do. And uh-huh. and I just fell asleep. Doreen's now in charge of a ministry in St. Louis called The Harbor. Please listen to Dale Wiley's show and 15-Minute Miracles for more stories of inspiration.